Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my partners in futility and the real brains of this operation. First up, writer for the King's Herald and a podcast whiz, Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, Will, and happy Saturday, Jerry. Um, I was feeling much better two Saturdays ago when we last recorded and the Kings were on a bit of a win streak. We have uh, the opposite happening now, but regardless, I'm happy to get in here and talk about the Kings of both you guys. We're excited to talk about, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you guys today, a little less happy about what we got to talk about, but I'm, I'm excited to get into it. So now the real reason you've tuned in today, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, general manager and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, an Indiana basketball hall of famer, and the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Well, it's great to be here with you guys. I always uh, just love talking uh, Kings and NBA basketball. And, of course, as uh, Tony talked about two weeks ago, you know, I was just as happy as a teenager on his first date and maybe making out a little bit. But uh, <laughs> two, two weeks later, I feel like I just got shot down by the same, same girl. Well said. <laughs> Jerry, let's set the scene a little bit. The last time we spoke, you were running out the door to celebrate an impending Super Bowl victory uh, for your Kansas City Chiefs. And the Kings had a noon game against the Los Angeles Clippers, and they were ready to go uh, seven and eight, uh, seven and eight games in terms of in terms of wins to push themselves over 500. Uh, didn't quite work out the way you'd planned, did it? No, it didn't. I mean, obviously a great day for the Kings. I thought just a marvelous win. And of course, we have to remember, it seemed like that's been a long time since we've seen a win. But uh, then, of course, the Chiefs, I mean, it, hey, is it just a case uh, it's a big Mahomes as great as he is? And, I, and I, he's truly great, but it just shows you uh, uh, if you can't be protected, I don't care who you are, you're going to have a tough time uh, playing well. And uh, But credit to the Buccaneers and especially Tom Brady in case anybody – needed to know who is more important, a great quarterback or a great coach. Uh, that's been established now. <laughs> Jerry, I've got, a, uh, I've got a theory that I've been mulling over in my head the last couple of days because, uh, because of just how, uh, how much whiplash I've had over the Kings these last couple of weeks and then drawing back to the Super Bowl. Um, I think you made a wish to the sports gods for a win that day. And you said, sports gods, please let my favorite team win today. I'll do anything. And then, uh, and then they forgot that that you're uh, you were rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs and not necessarily the Kings. Because since that moment, uh, the Kings uh, beat the Clippers. Uh, they were 12 and 11, and then uh, they've uh, reeled off five straight pretty ugly losses. And uh, we're sitting here now in the mud, wondering what went wrong. Yeah, we are. And uh, of course, I, I think sometimes the most complicated issues. Uh, sometimes can be answered very simply. And I think that may be true in this case. I mean, the Kings are awful on defense. And uh, their offense was so good for a while that it made up for it to a degree. And, and they did come off that stretch where they had a little chance to practice. And they got a little bit better on defense, which is true. They got a little bit better, but they're still very bad. 
they're at the bottom of the league in any kind of efficiency. And, and uh, so I think it's kind of simple as that. And, and then as the offense maybe hasn't been quite as efficient, uh, what's that going to do for you? What's well, going to, obviously <laughs> we, we've seen what it's going to do. If the team can't really uh, be extremely efficient offensively, uh, they almost got no chance. I think we talked last week a little bit about sustainability and the wins that, that, that we'd seen the previous two weeks. And um, we kind of talked about, um, okay, we'll just wait until we were a little hesitant because the Kings had been ultra healthy and had been ultra lucky in terms of COVID protocols. And just about the time we said that De'Aaron Fox goes down with a, a supposed knee injury for a game after a bump in practice. We've seen Harrison Barnes miss time for a twisted ankle. Rashawn Holmes has missed two games. So I think, uh, I think one of my questions, Jerry, is now how much on the other side of this is sustainable? How much are the Kings just not that good? And these little injuries are, are showing just how bad these, this team really is. Well, it is a team. I, I think it just doesn't have the depth that it needs for sure. And uh, I mean, it doesn't have the overall talent that it needs to win consistently. I think we, we knew that, but certainly has some really good players. We also know that. But uh, uh, depth-wise, when injuries step up, and, and they're going to, you know, every, every here again, I mean, I, I, that's probably one of my pet peeves with the broadcast team sometimes is they, they want to talk, keep talking about, well, this is a young team. Well, hell no, it's not. It's a very much of a veteran team. And, and don't do that. Right? And don't focus on the Kings injuries because they've had less than situations than anybody else. So just don't do it. I think it's a disingenuous. So, but uh, yeah, so, so the Kings, obviously uh, they more than most teams, uh, you know, have, when you lose some talent, uh, it's tougher for them. That's, it's really that simple. I mean, and then especially when your really best player, a guy like De'Aaron Fox has mediocre games, boy, you are really vulnerable. I, I don't want to say the Kings were due an injury because nobody's really due to be hurt, but the Kings had not had a, a major player go down that season. And it was just a matter of time before it happened, I feel like. And so this kind of exposed the underbelly to a, a good, strong four man core, you know, this season and, and uh, really, uh, really, really showed, especially fans, the, the real weakness of the team being a real lack of depth in any, in any spot. Yeah, and, and I think we point even talked about that a little bit last week when we were in our full full edged uh, giddiness uh, that the Kings were playing well and they had four guys playing very well, but that also caught every one of those teams thin, yeah. just absolutely thin. And yeah. so you can't have it both ways if you're going to take it one way and take advantage, which is is fair, which is you do. Nobody feels sorry for in the league, and they shouldn't. Uh, so don't don't be crying about it when you get a little thin. Tony, what do you have to say about this uh, five game losing streak? What's something that stood out to you? I think, um, and Jerry nailed it in our, in our last episode where, you know, we, we talked about how the margin for error for this team was like nothing. Cause there was no depth and you had De'Aaron Fox playing like an all-star. You had Harrison Barnes. We talked about how he was having the best year of his career. We talked about how much Rashawn Holmes is going to get paid in the off season based on what he's done. Uh, we talked about Tyrese Halliburton as rookie of the year. So you're talking about the absolute peak for every single one of their important players. And we talked about how they aren't a deep team. So if one of those things goes wrong, you could see the entire uh, reason why they were succeeding. 
start to crumble. And I think that is exactly what happened over the last five games, the five game losing streak. And I don't think it's fair to say that, um, you know, it's just because of the injuries or it's just because some players are, are slumping right now. Cause I think that is part of an NBA season. That is part of a team. Every team is going to go through ups and downs with their best players playing well or, or poorly or litter, little injuries here and there. So I don't think you can just say the real Kings team is the one that's healthy and playing well. I don't think that's a, a fair at all because every team is going to have these ups and downs and it's how you, a lot of times it's how the good teams can uh, put band-aids on those issues when they come up. And I think it has, this, uh, this slump has exposed a lot of different uh, players and personnel and, and people in the front office and even the coaching staff, because there hasn't been to me anyways, a clear direction of how we're going to, fix this. I mean, you've seen Luke Walton use all these different lineups trying to figure out a combination that works. And maybe it's unfair criticism because you could say that there is no way to fix it. Maybe that's true. Or you would hope, I would hope that there would be some contingency plan for when everything, you know, when shit hits the fan, when everything starts going wrong, what are we going to do? And there has been no response from the Kings whatsoever during this losing streak. It's, it's getting, uh, it's not getting better at all really yet i think too you know just on agreeing with tony there you know it's one of those deals it's like well when shit hits the fan i mean at least first thing to do is turn off the damn fan <laughs> and uh uh you know and i mean you know i think as a fan we'd like to hear you know just hear something from up above some thoughts uh not, not that you know we're going to you know, hold anybody particularly accountable at this time. There's so much time to go, but it would be nice just to kind of have some thoughts like, boy, we're, we're really disappointed in this or that, or we think we do, you know, that sort of thing, just a, a little, you know, weekly fill in the blank thing. I think, I think you're right. And I think uh, right, right now uh, the shit really is hitting the fans and the fans are turning them off. The Kings aren't, you know, we had guys in, in the last comment section that I'd, that I was reading that said, I'm not going to watch this team right now. It is not, you know, and that's hard for, for, a, for a fan base that has gone 14 seasons without a playoff spot for fans to tune in every single night. I mean, that, that I, I didn't give anyone a lot of crap for those seven wins in, in eight games, because that's the, probably the, the nicest stretch of basketball. I mean, at least the second nicest stretch of basketball that the Kings have played in 14 years. And so now just five games later to have people being like, all right, I'm, I'm tuning out. I'm turning this one off. Uh, that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to see, but I, I think that it's pretty justified right now in the way the, the Kings are playing. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say too, I, I've turned them off, you know, I've turned them off. I, I found myself, you know, and I'm, I've turned to other games. I, I love the NBA. I love basketball. So I was just like, you know, I just shouldn't go watch the Phoenix Suns for a while. Uh, you know, they're, they're playing well or, <laughs> or, you know, just to see some players I want to watch for a while, I always go back, but, but it, I mean, it's the kind of thing that probably 15 years ago, I mean, I, my fingers would not have been able to turn the dial uh, or hit the, the remote just couldn't have done it, but uh, it sure is a lot easier right now. So, so let's walk through these games a little bit. I just kind of want to take some time to go through each one of those and stretch our memory a little bit. First loss, first loss in this in this group of five was one that was pretty admirable. One that I think a lot of people just went, "Hey, it was an off night," and and they played they played the Philadelphia 76ers, who at the time had the best record in the East. They've got two monsters in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, 
and they took a lead. The Kings took a four-point lead going into the fourth quarter. That was a good game. It was a hard-fought game that they just plain lost. Do you guys have any, especially just looking back on that now a week and a half later, do you have any gripes with that game? Jerry, Tony, do you have anything where you went, oh, this is where I started to see the wheels falling off the wagon a little bit? Well, for me, I, I didn't. I, I thought it was a case of uh, the Kings still playing, you know, very good basketball. Uh, I thought they did a, a pretty nice job on Joel Embiid defensively. You know, it was uh, kind of some of the fringe guys, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Seth Curry's been terrific all year and he was really, really good. Uh, you know, you give him shots, you're going to get buckets. And, uh, but yeah, my, my opinion, I don't know if agree, but I, I thought, yeah, they played played pretty well. If they play that well every night, they'll win quite a few games. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think sometimes as, um, as Kings fans, and I'm one of them, we, we sometimes criticize what shouldn't be criticized because we're so frustrated. And I think you need to give the Kings some room to be bad or, or to lose games that most teams would also lose. So I'm fine criticizing the Kings, and you should do that when they do something that other good teams wouldn't also do. I think that's when the Kings are at their most frustrating, when they're kind of an outlier bad. In this case, you lose to the 76ers. Most teams have lost to the 76ers, so I have no problem with a, a loss like that. Yeah, and they, they did it in a way, too, where they were, they were, I mean, taking that lead into the fourth quarter is one of those things that it was an up-and-down game. They took their hits from a guy like Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, or I think in the first half that Seth Curry had 15, 17 points. I mean, they, they handled the Sixers, you know, trying to recover, and they, they did it admirably. They just failed to win the game. That was one that I didn't really see a problem with. And, and even then, I kind of went, okay, well, there's a second loss in nine attempts. The Kings, are, the Kings had Orlando. They were looking ahead to Orlando, and Orlando didn't have a single point guard on the roster that was healthy. They're beat up and injured all over the place. They had nine guys, I think, that were injured. I thought, okay, they'll get the next one here in Orlando, and it'll be fine. Uh, uh, and then, and then they played in Orlando and, or they played Orlando and, uh, the Kings decided to sit De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. Apparently, uh, the official report was that there had been a banged knee in practice and De'Aaron Fox was being sat as a precaution. Uh, Jerry, did you ever quote unquote bang somebody's knee and just sit them to give them a, a day of rest after a long stretch? Well, I, as you know, I'm way too old school. If, I mean, it would be my feeling. It, it's always been if you can play, you should play. You know, I, I guess I'm, you know, it's a little bit, uh, you know, like the, the Carl Malone, John Stockton thing. Those, you know, those availability is such a part of the whole deal. And, uh, and, and so I, I say to me, and then uh, from the standpoint of the Kings in particular, it's like, wait a minute, you guys need to, any game that's winnable, you, you really need to win it. Uh, I mean, I'd have been more comfortable sitting out against Philly, <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but Orlando, and like you say, they were just decimated really, uh, you know, with the key, key players, although of course they got good performances from players that did play. And of course, Vucevic was terrific, which we, we knew that going in and, you know, I mean, he's just a little bit lighter. I mean, a lesser version of Jokovic or Jokic in my, in my, in, in my thoughts, but he's terrific. And he played that way. And, and Michael Carter Williams, you know, came out of the uh, doldrums to, to, you know, even though he can't shoot, he can, he can play. Yeah. I, I thought the biggest thing there was the Kings had an opportunity to 
take and, and there's no easy victories in the NBA, but they had a chance to, if you wanted to sit De'Aaron Fox, if his knee wasn't a hundred percent, but it was 80%, play him in the first half, run up a 20 point lead, give him less time in the second half and, and, and see if Corey Joseph can hold, hold that lead. That, that there was other ways of doing this. If he was in fact a little nicked up and uh, instead the Kings got, got, got their lunch handed to him. It yeah, was they old. got nicked up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, too, the, the idea, uh, I don't know. I, I like to say I'm way out of touch probably with most here, but, but the idea of holding guys out due to soreness, hell I'm sore, you know, <laughs> Uh, every player that's played more than five games is sore. I'm telling you, they're sore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and to me, that isn't the reason. It needs to be, you know, a, an actual injury. Tell me what the injury is. And then, sure, if it's turf toe, yeah, okay, I get that. Uh, you know, uh, a, a calf strain, okay, I get that. But don't tell me sore. Tony, what was something that you saw from that game that uh, that you came away with shaking your head at? So I'm going to, I wrote this down before we started recording. And my, I promise my memory is not this good. I cheated by pulling up the box score when Will decided to uh, do this exercise. But what stuck out to me about that Orlando game is, so that was the game, the Kings have had a few players missing games here over the last five game losing streak. This was the one game that Luke Walton decided to start Tyrese Halliburton. And it was with Fox out. So it was Luke Walton putting Halliburton in the starting lineup and for the first time really ever in his career, making him be your primary point guard, the guy who has to sort of run the show. And Halliburton struggled in that game. Um, He wasn't great. And Halliburton hasn't started again during this losing streak since that game. And I looked up the numbers for all the Kings players over the last five games, basically the only impact player who is playing well, you know, shooting above their regular season percentages um, highest points per game of the versus the rest of their regular season is Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton has actually played well throughout this five-game losing streak besides that Orlando game. I know Jerry has been advocating at different times that Halliburton should get a look as a starter, and I just that Orlando game was frustrating to me, not in and of itself, but that that was the only game that Luke Walton decided to start Halliburton for, and it was putting him in a position to run the show all by himself where I think, you know, the most optimal backcourt that the Kings have right now is Fox with Halliburton. So the Kings lose three games after the Orlando game, and we don't get uh, one instance of, you know, Fox starting with Halliburton, despite Walton throwing out all these different lineups because various players were out. So that was, that's the thing that sticks out to me with the Orlando game is it was disappointing to me that that was the only chance we got to see the one player that is playing well during the losing streak uh, get that, you know, we like to talk about accountability, but get that opportunity to start. And we haven't seen him since in that spot. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too, you know, and, and as you pointed out, Tony, and obviously Tyrese has been extremely consistent. I mean, he's had some games that have, you know, it's typical, but but I always thought one of the, where Tyrese is at his best is if Fox is out there with him. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the things I think uh, it, it makes him, you know, they got to put the quick guy on Fox. And so Tyrese can move the ball better against the number two defender of the guard line. And, and when he's having to go against the better defender of the guard line, he's not as effective and he's not going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you know, so, but I mean, I mean, to his credit, he did a very nice job under the circumstances. I mean, which also shows you uh, there's every reason to be optimistic that 
that as time goes, he could probably do extremely well against the number one defenders and the quicker guys as well, but, but probably not quite ready yet. I wanted to point out too that uh, he did struggle that game in Orlando and he uh, it was one of those things that you could see that he wasn't quite comfortable being a starting point guard in the NBA just yet, but his final box score wouldn't have told you that, that uh, he had 14 points, seven assists on uh, 50% shooting. Like that's not a bad, I mean, I don't know if our expectations are so high for a rookie now in Tyrese that like, but that's not a, that's not a bad game from the box score. Now he, he did look like he was getting bullied by, by some older vets but like, that's a pretty, I mean, if any rookie came in, if Ben McElmore had ever come in and shot six of 12 for 14 points and threw in seven assists at it, I'd have, I'd have been, been, oh, it's Ray Allen time, baby. He, you know, Ben McElmore would have been the next coming of Ray Allen if, if he ever had a score like that. And, and so for me, it's one of those things that it's encouraging, at least seeing a small silver lining in such a dark cloud that like he struggled and then he still ended up with a, an, a fairly efficient decent looking stat line for a kid who's only 20 years old. Yeah. There's just no downsides. I, I think, I mean, with him, I mean, he's going to have some, he's going to have some poor games. He's got some really poor games for the years over. It's just the way it's going to work. But, but to me that, you know, I mean, even in his poor games, he, he finds a way I think to kind of help, uh, you know, as opposed to those players when they have poor games, they really hurt you. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's, that's one of the things well, I like to watch him play. I, I just think he could, there's nothing to indicate he can't be a valuable player on a winner. So let's uh, let's step into the next game. And this is one where after the Orlando game, everyone kind of rolled their eyes and it was they were grumpy about, OK, you were looking past the magic towards the next couple of games by, you know, sitting Fox for precautionary reasons. Uh, but the wheels really didn't fully start rolling off the wagon until Memphis. Uh, the Kings, the Kings have Memphis come to town and, and, and this one was ugly from the start. They, 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 I don't think they ever led in this game. Uh, and it was pretty much a dismantling from the very beginning. Was there anything uh, from either of you guys that stuck out about this game in Memphis other than uh, the kerfuffle at the end that we'll get to? Well, for me, I mean, it was really, I, I thought Memphis played an outstanding game. I mean, the ball movement was terrific. They're, they're clearly unselfish team and, and they've had their share of injuries. Obviously uh, Jackson hasn't even played yet, but, sure. but then uh, I think just to summarize it, it was a case of one team being a lot more physical, a lot tougher than the other. And, and, the, and that was the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, with Valanchunas, uh, 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 Dylan Brooks, I mean, he's, he's a tough guy too. I mean, they, they, they really, I thought just said, Hey fellas, we're coming at you. So we're going to see, see how, see what you're going to do about it. And they, I think, kind of found out they weren't going to, you know, Kings weren't going to do much about it. Yeah, not to, I guess I'm going to be the, the lineup grumbler guy today. But this was, <laughs> this was an instance where Fox was back. And instead of just starting Tyrese Halliburton, the guy who's been playing great all year, Luke Walton throws Daquan Jeffries in there, his second game back from missing most of the season. He plays 11 minutes and was pretty bad in that game. I'm sure we'll talk about Daquan later because he's been better recently. But it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> We're starting Daquan Jeffries on his second game back instead of Tyrese Halliburton when he's been playing well all year. And, you know, the Kings aren't defending anybody anyway, so maybe you can at least outscore them if you run, you know, your mega offense lineup with Fox, Halliburton, Buddy out there. So I, I don't know. I, that's, I just keep coming back to that lineup stuff because um, Luke Walton has had to make decisions with guys out. That's out of his control. 
I'm just, uh, I'm curious what the reasoning was behind these individual ones, because once we saw that Daquan Jeffries was starting, I couldn't make sense of that. It's like, he comes back, Luke Walton says that there might not be a rotation spot for him. Injuries happen. Um, and then now he's starting and only plays 11 minutes and he struggled. So I, I don't know. I, I think I would have liked to see Halliburton start there. Does that change the result? Probably not because like you guys mentioned, the Grizzlies just bullied the Kings all night, but I can't help but, but gripe about some of that weird lineup stuff. It was a surprise. I don't think anybody, probably any Kings fan <laughs> you know, was, was not surprised by Jeffrey starting. And I think probably a lot of people want to see Glenn Robinson, the third, not play as much and and to see what Jeffries could do but uh, uh it certainly didn't work we know that you know this was a game too where you really started to see guys like Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes guys who you know obviously Kings fans have gone back and forth on these guys all season hitting each other about it um that they were completely invisible Harrison Barnes in this game he played 30 minutes he took six shots um he ended up with eight points uh and two assists and four rebounds uh, Buddy Heald, on the other hand, he played 31 uh, minutes. He shot two of 10, shot one of eight from, from deep, ended up with eight points and six rebounds. These are two guys that when you're struggling with injuries, you'd expect them to step up a little bit. And if you're averaging 16, hey, you might need to score 20 this game for the Kings to have a chance. If you're averaging you know, 17 uh, to 19, push that to, to 25 tonight. See if you can get enough, a couple extra shots off. And instead, Harrison Barnes especially, but Buddy Heald this season as well, they have backslid anytime they have a chance to really step up. And it's not that they're, you know, shrinking away from the light or anything, but they completely just absolutely disappeared. And I don't think yeah. the Kings have the depth to do that. Well, too, I, I thought going into that game, I said the, the two positions that the Kings have to win and should win big is the two and the three, you know, Barnes and, and Buddy. And they did. No. And I think, you know, I mean, they, they lost it, in fact. And, and I mean, that, that those positions you had, because you know, you, you pretty much knew you weren't going to win the five. And the one would probably be a, a you know, a standoff. And, and the four with, with Clark coming off the bench that, you know, he's pretty good to, to whoever they start, you know, type, yeah. type thing. But I mean, the two and the three going in that game, you had to say, well, oh, buddy's a lot better than Dylan Brooks. Well, he wasn't. And, and Harrison Barnes was in a kind of walkabout. And, and so yeah. I think, I mean, not that you blame any, you know, you should never blame one or two guys, but, but I mean, those two guys really underperformed. I, I, uh, they were guarding Grayson Allen and Dylan Brooks. Now, if you had to guard like a Kevin Durant, I can understand you only had eight points, but you kept Kevin Durant to 20. Then that's a game where you can say, okay, you were focusing on defense and moving the ball on offense and that's fine. But when you're guarding Grayson Allen, uh, who who at, at, he's an okay player in this league, maybe a little less than average, you should be getting. I mean, you should be looking for your spots on offense. Uh, Dylan Brooks, who's a good young player, he's not a guy who's going to go out and score 25 points a night that you really have to lock down. But he ended up with 22 points, so you weren't working that hard on the defensive end if you're giving up 22 to him. Yeah, the thing there too is the thing about Dylan Brooks. I like him because he's so tough and competitive. But he'll guard himself, yeah. you know, <laughs> he will guard himself. I'm telling you, you know, he will gladly take some bad shots if you oh, just yeah. yes. uh, give him the opportunity. Uh, you know, that's probably the one player on the on the Grizzlies that maybe the coach hadn't totally got to yet. 
but I, th- I mean, I think, I think he's got to everybody else. I do. I mean, that's, I think that guy's done a terrific job there, almost like a Nick Nurse kind of effort to where that's a very, you know, mediocre talent group that, that that's playing that they play better than they are, in my opinion. They're number one in the league in assists right now. And you could see that. Uh, I mean, going in, I, when I saw that stat for their, for the thing, as I was writing my preview, I thought there's no way in hell that they average more assists than any team in the league. And then the second that game came out, I went, Oh no, I get it. Like, I understand it completely. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Kings are getting yep. eaten alive just by their passing. That's a, it was a beautiful game from their perspective. And I can't wait to see them with Jaron Jackson Jr. back. That's going to be a really good little team. Now, that's what you call a good young team. Is Memphis considerably more talented than the Kings, like roster for roster? I don't think so. It depends if you're talking about young talent or are you talking about total talent? Because Harrison just, Barnes and Buddy Hill have a lot more talent, but they're not, they're not exactly in terms of – they're not growing with this team together. A lot of these guys in Memphis, they're going to grow together. Uh, uh, Conchar is going to – you know, be a piece later on someday that that'll come off the bench and be an okay eighth man. Some of these guys are going to be, I think Memphis is a, uh, in terms of young talent is a more talented young team. If you were to take all the vets off of both teams, I think Memphis far outweighs what the Kings are doing right now. Yeah. I, I think talent wise, I mean, let's just go back to that. Talent wise, the Kings are better in my opinion, but, uh, but you know, if you want to get selective here and say young talent, well, yeah, then I think, Young talent-wise, uh, Memphis is better. Yeah. Uh, just as far as talent, I, I don't think so. Now, having said all that, we also know that some of that young talent will probably stagnate. Don't know who. Don't know who. But uh, it, it's not all going to just go straight up the hill, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, so we'll see. But yeah, you you have to like their circumstance better than the Kings right now, not just this year, but going forward. Yeah, all the future stuff. You know, I would definitely lean Memphis, especially with Jaron Jackson Jr. when he's back. I'm just saying for one for one night in uh, on February in 2021, the Kings shouldn't be getting outclassed by that Memphis Grizzlies team, and it, and it, they were on that night. No, you're yeah in that on that point, yeah, absolutely. The Kings are a better yeah. team than the Memphis Grizzlies in terms of overall talent. The 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 I was counting as you were talking, Tony. There's over 11 guys on the on the Grizzlies that have two years or less experience in the NBA. I was just trying to, I was trying to suss out who, yeah. how many rookies versus how many uh, vets they really have. And some of those guys, you know, like a Justice Winslow, he's not playing. He's a vet, but he hasn't played all year. Jonas Valanciunas is, is the oldest guy on that team. And he's been on, in the league eight years. So this is a, a young Memphis team that I, I feel very jealous of at times. Oh, same. <laughs> same. So, <laughs> so let's uh, so let's move on to the next game then. This next game now now the wheels are coming off and you've got the Brooklyn Nets coming to town, uh, and the offensive dynamo that is the uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, that's a game where I would not have been surprised if the Nets had scored 160 points because they had everything rolling. They, they were shooting everything. Kyrie Irving shot the lights out of everything and the Kings end up falling uh, in the box score. Some of these games, the Kings end up making a push in garbage time. So the Kings only lost by technically 11 points, but this game had been put away a long time before that. Uh, what observations do you guys have about that game in particular? Well, mine was that, uh, you know, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, were way better than anybody that put on a jersey <laughs> for the Kings. You know, I mean, the talent, the, you know, for those of us sometimes that forget the value of talent, true friggin' 
great talent. Uh, you, you saw a pretty good example, and that's without Durant, for God's sakes, who's yes. the, the best of the three. Uh, but Harden is just playing marvelous basketball. I, I mean, he's still overweight and all, but I, I'm just, I, I like him better right now than I've ever liked him. I mean, he really is running the show, scoring when he needs to, assisting, being the leader. And then Kyrie, who I don't like at all, but is just a marvelous talent because you don't know what days he'll take off to go light incense or something. But uh, but my God, what a what a shooting display they put on! And, and of course, Joe Harris, one of the most underrated players in the league. You know, he's uh, he's just a real shot maker. He's a probably a better all around player version of Kyle Korver. <laughs> and uh, but they. I mean, they, that, you know, you talk about it, they're just an offensive weapon team there. And, and you know, if they, when they play a little bit of defense, they're tough out. They're going to be a tough out for anybody. Especially. And when they get uh, Durant back, uh, defensively, they get better too. I think sometimes like, people forget the obvious, say, yeah, they, they you know, they, they miss Jared Allen. It's too bad they had to give him up. But, you know, but, uh, you know, Jeff Green's a nice, a nice piece that can fit here and there. Yeah. But I, I, th- I think they got a real chance in the East just because they're great on offense. And not, not a Kings great on offense. I mean, like they have three guys that could all lead the league in scoring if they really pushed and wanted to. And they, they on a night, if your team isn't shooting well or your, your best defender like uh, Kings had Rashawn Holmes out this game, like there's a chance that if all three of those guys are healthy and playing well on a night, they could go for 160, 170 points if they were all catching hot at the same time. Yeah, they've got three guys that they're at their best are capable of scoring 60 points in the game. Uh, who could say that? Exactly. Tony, <laughs> what do you got here? I think this is a, one of those pretty acceptable losses, even without Durant. Um, that's just a better team than the Kings. Outside of the context of the five-game losing streak and how poorly the Kings have played overall, uh, you, you are fine with a loss to the Brooklyn Nets. We can't be unreasonable here. Um, but one thing I'll just say for there, because I was doing some stat collecting this morning, like I said, uh, that was a game Rashawn Holmes missed, and uh, the Kings are 0-3 without Rashawn Holmes this season, and they've been losing those games without him by an average of 15 points. So, you know, they're minus 45 in games without Rashawn Holmes. Does he make a huge difference against a team that's as talented as Brooklyn? Maybe not, but I do think, you know, in some ways that does highlight a little bit just how uh, important a guy like Rashawn Holmes is to the team that they haven't won without him. And not only that, they're getting blown away whenever he's not on the court. I just think he, he changes the dynamics of a game, maybe more than any player on the Kings, especially on the defense, because he tries so hard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he really tries hard and, and it doesn't always be successful, but I mean, it just seems like this team gets softer when, when uh, Rashawn's not on the floor, and I, you know, and I just, you know, I think there's something to that. I think when you look around the league at some of the real competitive, tough players, uh, you know, the same thing applies when they're on the floor. Uh, you know, the rest of their teammates feel a little obligated uh, to, to compete at a higher level. I, I think there's a carryover, I really do. And, uh, you know, we've seen it through history, whether, you know, going back, you know, with the Marcus Smarts and, and Tony Allens and uh, guys that just were – you know, the uh, Tucker, P.J. Tucker, you know, guys that just when they're on the floor, other guys that will seem to know, boy, I got some, there's a tough buckaroo out there with me, a Ron Artest and 
course, that goes back to the ultimate, the Jerry Sloan Bulls back in the 60s that everybody played with him, you know, said, we got to play hard because we're scared to death of Jerry. <laughs> this, is a, this is a game I wanted to point out a couple of stats. Tony, you don't have to gripe on this one. I will a little bit because the Kings started De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Corey Joseph instead of maybe giving uh, Tyrese Halliburton a shot there. They wanted to go offense for offense, and uh, Corey Joseph's number got called for some reason. Uh, the other thing is that uh, just kind of touching back on uh, Rashawn Holmes, Hassan Whiteside played 23 minutes that game and scored 26 points. And not that necessarily uh, Rashawn would have because uh, how, uh, Whiteside is a different presence there, but he had 26 points, 16 rebounds, and five blocks. He was on triple-double watch with blocks just, just in 23 minutes of play. So those are two veteran guys that, you know, okay, the Kings are going to lose this game, but like they could have very easily started Tyrese Halliburton started their best offensive lineup right off the bat. And that could have uh, affected the game a little bit. That could have gotten the Kings off to a, a little bit better start or held them in the end a little bit because the Kings did outscore Brooklyn in garbage time, 37 to 29, but they were ahead after the first quarter, 37 to 36. Corey Joseph had a good game. Uh, he had, I think he had 22 points and five assists. I'm not knocking Corey Joseph. That was Corey Joseph's tryout game for whatever team wants to trade for him at the deadline. But um, yeah, that was another opportunity kind of that I felt like Tyrese Alberton would be the guy that starts. And uh, instead that, that, that went to Corey instead. Well, I thought uh, one of the scariest things of that game to me was the fact that really uh, Whiteside and Corey Joseph were the two best players. You know, I mean, really, they were the two best players the Kings had by any kind of statistical uh, follow through. And, and, and that all just scare the crap out of you. You know, I mean, that, that, that's kind of thing that you, you know, should never happen. I mean, I'm not, and I don't mean that as a criticism to them. They did their jobs, but they should never be in a circumstance where they're your best players. Corey Joseph, I assume Walton started him to match up with either Harden or Irving. Um, unfortunately, those guys went off regardless. So that's sort of that has sort of been my point too, Will. Where it's like the Kings are bad on defense. They're they're just really bad on defense. So start Tyrese and, and let him go to work and make the offense a little bit more interesting to watch. But like you guys said, I mean Corey Joseph and Hassan Whiteside were not the problem in that game. And like that's that's on Fox and Buddy and the rest of the players you expect more from. You know, maybe if they were better, the Kings actually do steal that game because it was one of uh, very few instances where the role players were fantastic. And it was the guys you expect to play well who didn't at all. I just was hoping, and, and like, like probably you guys, I was just hoping that we'd see Tyrese guard Harden for 35 minutes. You know, I thought, boy, this would be a neat opportunity here. And now I know Harden's going to kick his butt. I, I know that. But it'd be talk about a, a, a great opportunity to for a, a young defender to go against a truly great. And uh, you talk about uh, an education boy, you're, you're going to get one in about 35 minutes. If you you just say this is your you anytime he's on the floor, you're on the floor and you're going to slow him down. And, you know, someday he needs to be able to do that. Absolutely, Jerry. I was. Uh... The, the point I was going to make is that Kyrie Irving went nine of 11 from three. So whatever matchup you were hoping on defense, it didn't work. So you might as well. Now that's not all on Corey Joseph and everybody else, but like, uh, you know, James Harden goes for 40. Uh, you can, you can 
you can stand to to let Tyrese Halberton out there guarding either a Kyrie or a or a or a James Harden for a long period of time because they set a record for that franchise and three pointers made that that game. <laughs> yeah, twenty seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it was that shooting display in the third quarter. I have to say, it was you know as a I enjoyed it. I mean, just as a basketball fan, not not as a Kings fan, but I mean, they put on a shooting display. You know, and you know, like I say, then you throw in Joe Harrison there. I mean, he he he's a knockdown shooter, just about like those guys, and that's without Durant. But like I say, I I just would have you know hardened. You know, I, I would have just loved to have seen that matchup, and I, and I'm pretty pretty convinced it wouldn't have changed a thing. But I think that's a would have been a boy, a, a just a, a easy education. You know, I mean, you're not risking anything because you know damn well you don't have anybody guarding. Right. You know that you know that going in. So hey, this is a great opportunity. Okay, youngster, you've uh, this is you you get to go against an all-time first ballot Hall of Famer, and if you can slow him down, you know that's telling us an awful lot. Just if you can slow him down. Yeah, and to to that point, uh, and I, this is a fan perspective, so I understand the, that Luke Walton will have a different view of this, but from someone who's watching the team, I. I'm okay losing to the Nets and I'm okay having James Harden score a billion points if I'm watching the future do that. But to lose anyways and have Harden score 40 to a guy whose contract is off at the end of the year uh, when, you know, that's what we have to watch right now. Like the exciting part for, again, fan perspective, let's watch Fox and Halliburton. Let's watch the young guys. Let's see what the future does. If they, if they lose, like Jerry said, and guess what? They probably will guess what? James Harden probably crushes Tyrese Halliburton, but I feel better about it when it's Tyrese Halliburton than a vet who doesn't have a long-term future. And that's sort of the overall point. Yeah. I think a coach that's coaching for his NBA life says, screw what you think is entertaining. I need to, I need to put food on my table. So Corey Joseph can go out there and guard Kyrie Irving and try to stop him. It didn't work, but I can see the, I can see the thought process from a, a head coach going, no, you know, we're not there yet. Give me 20 games in the season and the Kings are headed for the lottery. You can get Halliburton on, on James Harden until then you have Corey Joseph and you'd like it. <laughs> So let's uh so let's move on to uh to the Miami Heat game. This is a game where uh, uh, Rashawn Holmes didn't play. Second game in a row he didn't play. Uh, the Kings were without Harrison Barnes. Uh, the last time they played uh, in Miami, they'd lost by one in the middle of that that uh, nice win streak that the Kings had. And um, this was a this was a, a a game where I I if it hadn't been for DeQuan Jeffries in the third, I was writing the recap of the game and I would have turned the game off. I'd have just walked away from it and just said, I didn't fin- I didn't watch the game and just talk about it amongst yourselves. Cause I don't want to um, Jerry, w- what was something that you saw in this game that uh, you can be positive. If you want to, I guess we don't have to all trash, but like what's something that you took away from this Miami heat game the other night? Well, I, I was, I was obviously disappointed because I mean, the heat were coming off, but they're playing back to back and you know, they're without Dragic and Avery Bradley and, and I, uh, and a couple other guys for that matter, but, uh, you know, they, they had control of the game and, you know, Tyler hero was, was allowed to play point guard as if he was a point guard, you know, he was able, I mean, and, and I think he's, yeah. he's a hell of a player, 
but he's not a point guard, but he was able to move the ball and get places on the floor. And uh, Jimmy Butler really had the ugliest triple double I've seen in years and, and, and basically did it just kind of like sleepwalking almost like, well, I got to be out here. I might as well get a triple double. And uh, I, I, that's, I mean, so that's, that's kind of, I don't know. I, I, that was one to me is one of the more disappointing games of all because uh, the heat, their records worse than the Kings. I hate, to, you know, I mean, it's like, well, we know they're a better team than that, but mostly it's due to injuries and COVID and all that. But, but, uh, and they had, most of their good players, but they didn't have them all, and they played back to back. So that was a winnable game, and should have been. And uh, I just thought the defensive effort overall was was maybe as bad as we've seen all year. Um, I guess I'll use this opportunity to talk about Buddy Hield since we haven't uh, talked about him too much today. But Buddy Hield goes one for eight from three, scores five points in a in a game in a winnable game against Miami. That's um. I don't know. I don't want to say it's unacceptable because it, it sounds like a weird way to phrase it, but you just got to get more from Buddy. And uh, I pulled his numbers throughout this five-game losing streak as well, and he's only averaging 14.8 points per game, which is much less than we would have predicted going in for his season total. I know it's just the last five games, but he's got to be a 20-plus point-per-game scorer for this team to win games. So he's only at you know a little under 15 over the last five. And he's only shooting 35.8% from three. And he's taken a shit ton of them, which you don't mind because you you like Buddy Heel shooting threes. But uh, but I don't know. I mean, the Buddy Heel conversation is an interesting one because you know, you start him, you give him minutes, you hope he produces because you want to increase trade value in theory, or or maybe you keep him long term. But the idea is maybe you give you, you know, you're showcasing a little bit. But I think we're at the point with his season where uh, teams know who he is. And the value isn't going up. So I, I don't actually think that, you know, if you wanted to make a more drastic roster or, or rotation decision, I think if you bench Buddy Heald and again, put Tyrese Halliburton up there, I don't think you're impacting his value much at this point. And maybe Buddy will actually turn his season around like we saw last season when he was benched for bogey and he, he started playing incredible. He was back to old Buddy. So I don't know if that's something Luke Walton looks at, but that was sort of my, my last straw with Buddy was that Miami Heat game where he goes, you know, 24 minutes, five points, one freight from three. All right, what are we doing here? You know, it's, it's just an odd stat there, Tony, is that he twice in this stretch, he shot two of 10 and one of eight from three. Uh, I, was, I was clicking through stats and stuff like that uh, yesterday. I recognize that. And it just isn't, it just isn't something that you can get from a starting shooting guard. You said that Buddy has to score 20 for the Kings to win. I think Buddy has to score 20 just for the Kings to be competitive. I mean, there's a, these are some games here where the Kings just aren't competitive from the very start. And, or you can tell midway through the second, oh, this is going to be one of those games. You know, unless Buddy really – the sprinkler systems come on. Like, Buddy is – okay, he's, he's not hitting them. The Kings are going to lose this one. And you can almost, you know, time your watch to a game where – if Buddy's not shooting well. The Kings aren't. The Kings aren't getting anywhere. Yeah, you know, I, I think I learned something on Buddy from reading the, the Kings Herald. Uh, you know, a couple fans pointed. I don't know who I should give him credit, but point out that you know that Buddy looks heavier, and uh, I think he is. You know, I mean, he's always been a proponent of weights and all that. And I mean, who isn't? But but I I think if you look at Buddy a couple of years ago and look at him now, physically he looks different. And, and I, I don't, and I believe that, and I don't think he's quite as quick and mobile, which is obviously a real key part in that position. 
And I, as I, as I've said too, I, I think that, you know, that some of his open shots become less open. He's just a little slower on the delivery or, you know, or getting ready to just for whatever reason. And that'll, that'll affect your percentages, but, but everything Tony says true. I mean, you know, if you're going to play a guy 30 minutes or so at that position, he needs to score and score efficiently. And of course, uh, as we, we've all talked about, and I'm a been a buddy fan, although I'm getting off the bandwagon. I'm kind of a front runner, you know, I'm ready. To, I'm, I got my shoes on. I'm ready to jump, but <laughs> right off, but, but uh, uh, you know, his, his efficiency rating as players that look over just barely over 10 was well, terrible. You know, I mean, you need, so he's about five points below what you, what you, what's acceptable and <laughs> what's acceptable for that. So, so that, that's uh, at some point. Yeah. I mean, Luke's got a tough call there. I mean, at some point uh, I think, you know, so I'd agree with Tony. It's, 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 it, to me, it's probably pastime. I don't know what you're risking at this stage. Well, Jerry, and you said what's acceptable, but now give me what's acceptable for a $90 million player or a hundred million dollar player. I mean, you're, you're investing a ton of money into Buddy Heald, not just an average amount of money into Buddy Heald, and yet he is below average on a lot of these different things. Well, uh, the same thing would – regardless of the money, and I mean – and, and mm-hmm. not, you can't dismantle it, but it, it has to be, you know, the 15, 16, 17, probably should be 17-point rating. I mean, if, if, sure. if, if he's a starter at that position, whether he's making $20 million a year or eight – I mean, because if you want to win, that's what you got to have. So, sure. I, so I mean, I think sometimes uh, it, it, it complicates it, makes it worse when the money comes involved. But it, but yes. it doesn't change what you have to have on the court. One hundred percent. So, from a from a not not to get into like the let's trade buddy healed section of this uh, of this podcast, but Jerry, as somebody who um, who was a former general manager in both the NBA and WNBA. How would you look at this? I know we talked earlier um, before the season started where you said that there are general managers who might see Buddy as more valuable even than what the Kings do. It's kind of like they know what Buddy does. They know, you know, how he can be in this league. If you're a general manager from an opposing team looking to trade for three-point shooting at the deadline, do you look at Buddy Heald and go, "Mm, we can rescue him. We can save this guy's season. He can save our season too. Or do you start seeing all these two for 10 and one of eight from, from, from deep. And you start thinking "Mm, for that amount of money, we should probably look elsewhere. I think uh, probably what, what's going on in the league. And I know the, you know, the league front office people are like me a lot. They're fans in general. I mean, they're, they're front runners too. (laughs) They're they're watching what's going on right now. And and I think there's teams out there say, well, I'd like to have buddy. Uh, And I think I can rescue him. You know, I mean, that's that's the nature of things. You know, I'll solve the problems kind of thing. You know, we as humans always think we got the answers when we don't even know the questions. But uh, with with but here's the difference, I think, it's probably changed now in the last month or so. I think a lot of teams are saying, yeah, we, we'd, we'd like to get buddy, but we're going to need to get rid of. Elmer Fudd here that under that we know can't play that we're paying 10 or 12, 12 million dollars a year. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. There has to be, you know, it's not, it's just not all, oh, yeah, here it's a couple first round picks for you guys and a nice young player that we think is going to really be good. No, that's probably changed. Well, that's tough to hear <laughs> because, uh, because there's, there's nothing I want more than to see Buddy in, in a nice place 
playing well, going to the playoffs, but. Well, yeah, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. We all do. And, and I mean, as fans, we, we want to, I mean, it's always been the case as a fan of a team, when you follow your own players closer, you, you tend to overvalue them, but the, but the league and, but the league does the same thing with theirs. (laughs) <laughs> and so yeah there's i mean there's a few exceptions of the true greats that everybody knows but uh for the most part the parts are interchangeable and so okay we'll take you know that's always remember the story bill russell telling me about red Auerbach. Uh, one of his deals he'd do every year he said he'd trade somebody he'd call i'll trade you my asshole for your asshole uh in in, in the in the middle of the year because he said once I get your asshole, he'll be okay for a half year. And my asshole will be okay with you for a half year. Because, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I always thought, you know, oh, Red, uh, you know, kind of one of those uh, complicated things that simple, got simple, you know, on that basis. <laughs> uh, is there anything else from this Miami game that you guys took away from this? Um, obviously, having a two teammates getting triple doubles in the same game, with uh, Butler sleepwalking to a triple-double and Bam Adebayo um, having himself a game as well, being guarded by the likes of Harrison, or not Harrison, uh, but um, Hassan Whiteside. Uh, That's never something you want to see. When you see ESPN tweeting about the Kings, it's never a good thing. It's always, oh, what did the Kings do now? Oh, okay, they just gave up a triple-double to two different teammates on the same game. Well, too, it's like, you know, you had the 27 – record threes by Brooklyn before, and then you have to do triple doubles yeah. and, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, well. and Vucevic being, you know, turning into Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And, and so, so those <laughs> things are, and I, and I even throw in, uh, I was listening to Charles Barkley, who, you know, I don't, I agree with about 70% of the time, you know, Charles just throws out stuff, but he did say something I thought was funny and, and pretty accurate, you know, that people, talking about well the kings are a young team he said no you've been saying that for 10 years (laughs) you've been calling the kings a young team for 10 years i said yeah uh, you know that's it's almost true and there was a couple periods where it was true actually (laughs) when when it was actually true uh but i thought yeah that that, as probably the average fan you know i I think they're probably like charles are saying i I don't need to hear that anymore you know i just i just don't need to hear it even if it gets true again, I don't want to hear it. Uh, one other weird thing. Well, I guess two small weird things about this game. Um, Nemanja Bialica came back from, from the dead a little bit in the Kings rotation and started. And he took 21 shots, which I would be surprised if Bialica has taken 21 shots at any point in his career. That sounds like a, a career high in field goal attempts from him. And to his credit, he was pretty good. And I think the hope is that this was some sort of a showcase game for teams. You know, I'm sure they already know who Nemanja Bielitsa is, but at least you see him play 35 minutes and put up 25 points. At least maybe you know that, all right, you know, he's in shape too. Like we know how good he is, but also he's been keeping himself in enough shape to go 35 minutes against a pretty tough Miami Heat team, even though they've been losing a lot of games. And the only other thing was that um, this was sort of the Daquan Jeffries coming out party. Uh, five for five from three, 17 points in 17 minutes. Um, one of the only Kings that really seemed to care for, for all of his minutes. And I think if nothing else, he's earned a look moving forward off the bench. You know, let's just see some more because you got a guy who, who took his minutes seriously against Miami and they need, and in theory, Daquan Jeffries, he's a, he's a big, bigger guy, a pretty strong defender. 
in theory, he could be part of what the Kings are missing. So I think he, he deserves a longer look based on this performance against the Heat. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I thought uh, Jeffrey Shaw hadn't really seen much before, but but it is one of those things that it's hard to, to me after just seeing that performance. Uh, I don't think Lynn Robinson has really ever looked that good uh, this yeah. year. You know, I mean, really, so, okay. You know, there's minutes, should be minutes for him. And uh, he's a little undersized for three, but but that's still physically, that's probably where he needs to play. Uh, and he can defend a couple spots. But yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, geez, he, he was good. He was good. And uh, that's all you can say, which ought to merit more opportunities. And, and the Belicia point, again, you know, Nimage is a good player. You know, he's a good NBA player. Now, I actually think probably around the league, he may have more more interest than anybody else because obviously salary uh, is coming off. And if you're a good team, it's boy, good insurance policy. We may not need to play Nemanja, but good to have him in case X, you know, Joe Faduzo, the next guy goes down, you know, for the playoff run. And, and, and if I'm a good team, you know, you're always looking for insurance. And if you're the Clippers, Lakers, Jazz, whoever, I'd have to think that a guy like that that can play a couple spots in small ball, he can play center and he shoots threes, he can make passes, good teammate, unselfish. All those things are true. He's just, uh, you know, he's a good role player. It's what he is. I got a couple other points too here. Uh, one, just to finish up on the Daquan Jeffries point, he played 17 minutes, but he went four or four from three in an eight minute stretch. I mean, he, in, in those eight minutes to end the third and the beginning of the fourth, the guy, the guy was electric. He, he saved the game in terms of me being able to finish a recap. I, I would have turned that game off mm -hmm. and just said, yep. oh, this is where I quit. Goodbye. Yep. And he, 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 he made the, he pushed the Kings to where it was only a 10 point game, you know, going into the fourth quarter. He, he nearly saved that game for him. Now, the reason that didn't happen is because, uh, uh, and I don't want to blame uh, De'Aaron Fox for this necessarily, but we, we talked a lot about earlier in the stretch when they were winning games, De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter is coming alive. And in this game, he had a total of 10 points. Uh, he had 11 assists, which were good, but he completely, De'Aaron Fox was, was a non-factor in this game outside of his passing. And that was, uh, that was something that's a little bit uh, concerning to me going forward where Fox is kind of, in his stretch, he went. He scored 34 against Philly. Then he didn't play, and since then he went 23 points, 19 points, 11 points, 10 assists. So the assists are nice. He's he's able to you know draw defenses to him because of his speed and his reputation right now. But he against Miami, that was a, a game where he did not score at all. You know, one thing. One thing I think we're seeing a little more of. Uh, uh, I thought Miami did a pretty good job i mean they went under pretty much every screen you know and, and i i'm surprised that all teams don't do that you know i mean what you want to do i would never go over a screen on uh deer and I'd, uh, I'd go under everything and say you know whatever you can do to keep him out of the paint if you want to give him 20 footers give him 20 footers you don't want to give him but but if you're going to give up something, keep him out of the paint. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how many teams have been, you know, chasing him, trying to chase him around screens. And, of course, sets up the pick and roll or, or, or you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, he was, uh, you know, if you didn't know it's Darren Fox, if somebody didn't say, that's Darren Fox, really one of the best young guards in the league, they'd have had to tell you because he wasn't that game. Yeah.
Jerry, I'm glad you brought up the the going under screens because that's another stat that I pulled. Um, De'Aaron Fox over this five-game losing streak is uh, taking six threes per game and he's shooting them at 20%. So his response to teams going under is to shoot. He's playing right into what the defense wants him to do. I don't know. I mean, maybe just swing the ball at that point and, and start moving again. Because if, if the response is to settle for threes, and I think, you know, if you told me De'Aaron Fox was going to shoot six threes per game this season, he's not on the season, but over the last five games he is, that is a real high three-point number. And I just, if I have any knock for his season, is it seems like he's falling in love with that three a little bit too much. And he's taking some difficult ones. If he was just taking the, the ones where he's spotting up or, or a little bit more under control, he's hitting those. But he is kind of uh, maybe a little bit of a bad habit is growing here where he's a little bit quick trigger on the three when teams go under. Um, and he's if you're only shooting them at 20%, like he has over the last five games, you got to figure out something else there. It's just not an efficient play. Well, you, Mo, I agree with your thought there, Tony. And I mean, I think sometimes too, you know, you always hear the uh, statement, take what the defense gives you. Well, <clears throat> they're giving you that for a reason. Uh, and 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 in the Aaron's case, it's like I, I agree more. Just give it up and move. You know, play be Steph Curry. You know, pass the ball, cut, move. I mean, uh, you know, we, we don't see enough of that from De'Aaron. Everything is kind of dribble related. And I don't care how good you are. Sometimes, you know, with with help defense and different things, it, it, you know, it, you got to find a way uh, to create some problems for the defense. And right now, I don't think you know, the last couple of games he hasn't, but, uh, you know, he, he, I think he'll figure it out. I think he'll figure it out because, uh, clearly it's like, you know, he, he can't make his career based on shooting threes, at least not right now. You know, I want to, I want to give some due to, uh, the Miami heat. We talked about the Memphis Grizzlies passing, but the Miami heat, Mark Jones had this stat that he pulled that I, I kind of want to, that's a really specific stat here, but that the, the heat lead the league in assists off of cuts. And I kind of blinked at that one a couple of times to think about it, but like that was a game where the second, you know, before he'd said it, you'd seen it. And then afterward, every time they scored for a while, it was off of a back cut. It was off of a, a, you know, a cut to the basket where they were finding guys right in the paint wide open. And I wanted to give Miami their credit there because that, that again was some fantastic passing, not just from Jimmy Butler and, and Bam Adebayo, but everybody on that team is looking for the cutter headed towards the basket. And I thought that was some beautiful basketball to watch at times, just just the, the action to get those guys off of their defender and headed towards the bucket. Boy, that, exactly right. I mean, it, you know, they seem like with the NBA, the more you watch, the more I do. Everybody plays the same. You know, it's pick and roll. And, and uh, draw and kick, you know, <clears throat> and basically it's just uh, off dribble related situations. Uh, and, well, and, and some teams are very efficient, but then you, you see that and it's like, well, no, there's really more you can do with the game, get cutters. And, and I'll go back to the Warriors. They're not a great team by any stretch this year, but they, they still do a nice job of that. Uh, you know, if, if you don't, if you're, if you don't have the ball uh, cut, move somewhere, yeah. don't stand there you know, wait for the ball. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I think the, you know, smarter teams, uh, you know, if you're, if you got James Harden out there or Kyrie Irving, you can get by with that because they're so good that you can just go spot up and stuff. But, uh, but Kings aren't that good. 
How's that for a simplification? <laughs> this podcast could have been one sentence long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the King's Herald Show. They're not very good. We'll see you next yeah, week. Right. <laughs> uh, so let's uh so going into the macro a little bit, zooming out a little bit. Do you guys have a player that you think was the best player during this really terrible stretch of games? Did anyone stand out to you? It doesn't necessarily have to be the leading scorer, but who who do you say is the guy that at least held it together for this team if there is one? Mm. <laughs> well, I'd probably say Tyrese more than anybody else. You know, I mean his his lows weren't terribly low. You know, his highs weren't quite, you know, so I, yeah, and especially the fact he's a rookie, I, I think was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think Halliburton would be number one. Um, the one guy who's actually shooting better than his, well, actually, I'll say this. There's two guys that are shooting that have shot better over the five games losing streak than they have been over the course of the full season. Halliburton was one of them. And also a guy that I've certainly been critical of uh, throughout his entire tenure with the Kings. But Marvin Bagley has actually been, at least numbers-wise, pretty good over this five-game losing streak. The Kings are in a very tough spot when he's their center because it's just such an undersized player against some of the guys he's been forced to go up against. But uh, at least his numbers have been efficient, and they haven't been at many points throughout his career. So I will, I will take what Marvin Bagley has given them over the five-game losing streak, and I don't think he has been one of the top you know, five problems one of the top five or, or even maybe plus reasons why they've been losing. I think he's pretty much done better or, you know, at least what you want him to do for this stretch. I think if you, if you, if you watch him, you know, I mean, he really is uh, more active. If you go back early in the year, you know, I mean, you, you could just watch him stand in one spot a lot. I mean, defensively, offensively, but uh, like Red Tony, I, I think he's, he's playing better. You know, I mean, it's a lot of people don't want to admit that, but he is playing better and, and trying harder on the defensive end. I'm not saying he's a lot better, but he's trying a lot, lot harder. I, especially, I, I like the against Embiid. I mean, of course, it's also true the Kings had to give double team help all the time, uh, which which created a lot of other problems. But but still, uh, yeah, I yeah, I, I think uh, you know, and his stats show it. They've been going up. You know, they show it. Yeah, I think, Jerry, you were good to mention that, that game against Embiid. There was that stretch there where I think he took a charge, he had a block. He, I mean, he did better on Embiid than just about or just about anyone on the team, but just about as good as you can do on Joel Embiid. I mean, he, he had, he had a, I think it was the third quarter where he, he – you could tell Embiid was a little surprised and frustrated that uh, the way he was playing, and that was off of Marvin Bagley. So, I mean, that's a, that's a moral victory and a small moral victory at that. But I, I think Tony's good to, to mention Marvin because he has been playing better of late. Um, I also want to mention um, these guys aren't actually playing with the Kings, but um, Robert Woodard in the G League is having himself a time down there. Um, it, it seems like every time uh, we haven't had that many articles posted on it, but Brendan, uh, uh, one of our guys there at the Kings Herald has been kind of recapping every single game that our guys, Jemias Ramsey and Robert Woodard had down there and, Woodard's filling up the stat sheet right now. So I want to at least mention him a little bit and uh, give him some props as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of one, one of those games and uh, you know, the, there's no, I'll say this. I mean, there's no reason to uh, uh, decide he's going to be the answer to anything, but it's also true. There's, there's every reason to believe that, that 
that he can be an NBA player. He's, he's, he's doing exactly in the G League what you're supposed to, be outstanding. When you, when you send guys down there and they're not outstanding, and, you know, and the Kings have done that over the years, and, you know, putting up very mediocre stats, well, when that happens, uh, you know pretty much that it's not going to work for him at the next level. So, so anyway, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'd hope at some time uh, at this, you know, that you, they bring him up and give him a, him a shot and get some idea, you know, what, what is he really, you know, what position yeah. can he play best? Who can he guard best? Just get some idea. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not just not sure about the JMS yet. You know, I, I think there's a, a lot more, he needs more, more and more playing time to be good, but wherever it is. Absolutely. Um, so the Kings now are, um, they're going through their last stretch of games before we get to uh, uh, a, an all-star break in which apparently there will be an all-star game. As oh, well as a... good. Oh, <laughs> Jerry, they didn't obviously listen to your suggestions as to not have it. No. Very no. important to get that in. The Kings are also one game back on the second worst record in the league. So they're only they're they're uh, eleven and a half games up for the number one seed, and they're only one game back from the Thunder, who uh, who though are bad, are also very 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 young and not veteran led. Yeah. Um, <laughs> looking ahead, just just to give everybody who's listening a, an idea of what's coming next, uh, the Kings have uh, they have Chicago today. This this podcast we put out after the Chicago games. Then they'll have a back to back where they play the Bucks. Um, and then we're talking uh, the Nets again with uh, Kevin Durant supposedly going to be back by that time, uh, the Knicks, and then um, the Detroit Pistons. I see one winnable game in that, or one, one that I think the Kings should win even as bad as they are, and that's the, the Detroit Pistons. But it's not going to get much easier for the Kings moving forward. So, Jerry, what's something that they can do to get back to at least a semblance of what they were pulling off just two weeks ago? Oh, I think it always, you know, the simple answer is, is guard better. You know, I mean, I, I still think that offensively they're, they're close to being good enough, but defensively they're not. I mean, when you're basically kind of about 12th in the league is overall offensive efficiency kind of thing and, and 30th in defense, I'm not a math major, but I think it's pretty clear where the problem is. <laughs> and if I'm, the players and Luke Walton, I'm saying we've got to get better in this area where we're terrible. You know, if we get better in that area, uh, yeah, we, we can be in, we can be in all these games because we can score enough. Most nights uh, we'll have a chance, but if you don't, you won't. Tony, do you have anything, uh, anything else there? Well, the Kings are, uh, they're one game out from the 10th spot in the West and they're one game out from the sixth pick in the draft. So that's how <laughs> much of a mess the both conferences are with regards to playoff seating now that you get 10 spots. Um, so the Kings are, are at a, a point of the season where they can go one way or the other. You know, do we try and compete for the 10th spot or do we play some of the younger players even more? and maybe ship off some of the veterans. And as I've been saying for a while, um, I'd like to see them go the direction of the young players because at some point, this jumbled mess won't be a jumbled mess. And I would like to see the Kings take advantage of that a little bit earlier than the other teams. Whereas, you know, maybe more teams are looking for vets now than will a month from now when 
we start to see a little bit more division between where the teams are, are where the standings are. So if the Kings have an opportunity to trade someone like Bielitsa or, or, or some of these other veterans to, uh, I think they can cast a wider net in the trade market now than on the deadline when more teams have committed in one direction or the other. So that's what I'd like to see them do is sort of hop on that train before anybody else um, while teams still think they can compete for the playoffs and, and move on from there. And, and, uh, for, and the, the biggest point, just get Tyrese Halliburton in that starting lineup somewhere, somewhere soon. Jerry? Well, I agree with everything you said. Count me in. I, no, really, I, I think that's right on. Tony, Tony's right for once. How about that? <laughs> I got one. I, can, I, can, I, can I send you a shirt with a little tank on it, Jerry, that you can wear for next episode? Can we officially count you I, in that group? I, I can't. No. no. <laughs> I, just, I just can't. I just can't. Hope you're, you know, it's getting close, but I can't do it. Can't. <laughs> Okay. I think tank needs, needs better PR. We just need to figure out a better word yeah, for it because yeah. I'm not asking the Kings to lose on purpose. No. Like tank suggests, we yes. need to think of a, a less divisive Re- word to describe what the Kings should be doing. Here. Proactive rebuilding. Doesn't that sound yeah, much okay. Yeah. Give me a shirt. Proactive rebuilding. I'm okay. Yeah, proactive rebuilding. Shirt. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say this, whoever's on that floor better damn try. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. Jerry, is there a, is there a particular move that you'd like to see whether selfishly like uh, for me, uh, I want to see uh, I want to see a Nemanja Bielitsa go, not because he isn't a good player more just because I think he's, he'll be successful wherever he goes. And I'd like to see him on a playoff team so he could actually get the press that he deserves. Um, is there, a, is there a move one way or another that you think the Kings could, could pull off that, uh, that could help the team in one direction or another? Well, I, I'm not sure about that, you know, cause you just don't know. You, you can kind of guess on what teams needs are, but doesn't necessarily tell you what they're willing to give you back for it. But, but I mean, I, I would go along with you with Bielisa. He, he deserves uh, to, to be really, you know, on a playoff type team, you know, he's at the stage of his career where he's a pro's pro and can fit in. So you'd almost like to see him get to a happy place, so to speak. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think the same thing applies for Corey. You know, I know he's not a beloved figure here in Sacramento and, and he really should be, uh, you know, not just because of kind uh, of kind of young man he is and, 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 you know, he plays up to his ability. You know, his ability may not be where we want it to be, but he, he's gotten the most out of it. And he probably, uh, it'd be to his advantage, probably whether it's as a fourth or fifth guard uh, on, an, on a real good team as an insurance policy differently. But I, I think both those guys probably would be better served somewhere else, really. Sure. Well, the trade deadline's only a, a month and a couple of days away. So I'm excited to see. Uh, I mean, either way, the Kings are going to tear, the Kings fans are going to tear themselves apart. Regardless of what, you could trade for the for prime Michael Jordan, and I think that the Kings would be annoyed that they didn't get prime Oscar Robertson to go with it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see the chaos that happens, whoever we end up sending away and for whatever we get back for them. Well, I know this. I mean, it's, it's the old deal. I mean, to get better, you have to get more talented, and, and it's very difficult. To, you know, I think it's going to be difficult to get more talented right now. Maybe you sure. – you, can uh, use whatever trades you make to get more talented in the future. But, uh, you you know, it it just, it's a talent league and that ain't going to change. Tony, let's, uh, let's roll over to you for our Patreon question of the day. 
All right. Uh, as listeners know, but maybe maybe some first time listeners don't know, the King's Herald is uh, basically um, supported by our patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash King's Herald. So on every episode of this show, we ask Jerry one question from our King's Herald patrons. And then once a month, any questions that don't get used on this main show, we put together uh, a full Q&A. So any question that gets submitted, we will ask Jerry, even even the silly ones. And uh, if you're a patron, you can uh, you can uh, you can listen to that on Patreon once a month. So the question today comes from Rick, and Rick Rick asks uh, something we haven't talked about a lot this season, although it may crop up again here as we get towards the trade deadline. But Rick asks, I'd like to hear Jerry talk about the structure where both Monty and Joe Dumars report separately to Vivek on basketball-related matters and may have diverging views. Um, the story goes that Joe Dumars is apparently sowing discord. I think that was a report that came out uh, earlier in the season because this is a, um, a question that I had backlogged from a couple weeks ago. But uh, Jerry, can you speak to that dynamic where you have two front office executives reporting, you know, not one to the other, but both to ownership and how that dynamic might be a, a difficult situation for the Kings? Well, I, if that is the case, it would be a difficult situation. I'd like to believe that uh, Joe... Here again, like to believe keyword. I uh, like to believe that, that Joe and Monty are on the same page uh, since they're on the same team, and obviously the you know the the owner is always going to be the can be involved as much or as little as he wants to be. That's that's always the case in history. Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I've heard those rumors, and and I, I don't. I hard to give them credibility if you don't know. Uh, I, the only thing I know about Joe uh, Dumars is, you know, just talking to Jeff Petrie, he's you know, still a great friend and and uh, admire the heck out of him, and, and he knows Joe very well. He just he's always told me, he said Joe Dumars is not the guy, kind of guy that will ever cause any discord. You know, he's he said I just don't believe that. You know, that Joe. Joe basically is uh, happy to be in whatever function he's in, <laughs> and uh, said so that you know. So I, I would kind of go there. I mean, you know, people want to can believe what they want to believe until we have evidence to the contrary. I I just don't see any evidence that there's any problems with the front office right now. You know, I mean, you know, we we'll have more evidence in the next six months, but you know, to what happened or didn't happen. But uh, yeah. but to date, I don't see how you could put any real credibility on anything. Jerry, just as a, a kind of a side question here, um, as, as a general manager, either in the NBA or the WNBA, did you ever have a, a situation where the ownership came to you and was like, Jerry, I know your plan is this, but we really want you to do this. And because I, I see I see uh, Monty McNair and uh, Tim, Tim Maxwell wrote an article um, earlier this week about uh, the Kings being designed to lose games based on basically that the Kings didn't, didn't bring anyone onto their bench really that was supposed to make that big of an impact. Uh, they didn't try to sign any, any sort of real impact starter type guys. Um, and so Tim's, Tim's kind of premise was that, Hey, Monty McNair was always looking to be a, you know, a seller at the deadline and the Kings are going to lose a lot of games in the second half of the season. But I can also see where Vivek Ranadive are an ownership group. They would love to go to the playoffs. And with the Kings' recent run, it's kind of like, hey, do you think we could get here? You know, do you think we could make a 10th seed and really make a push for it? So there, it'd be very easy for the ownership to kind of slide back to, hey, if we can make it this year, could, could you do that? Because that's 
some extra cash for me and my, in my coffers. Was there ever a time where an ownership group disagreed with your, your line and, and, and how did that work? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, usually it, uh, you know, my, you know, just in trades as much as anything, or, or basically with players that were going to make quite a bit of money when they didn't want to spend a lot of money type thing, which would obviously affect, uh, what you could do. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that's, was only the only issue is like, yeah, well, I, I'd like to trade for this guy and, and they'd say, no, no, uh, he's going to cost a lot of money later. Sure. And, uh, I said, yeah, he, he will because he's good. And we want to be good. <laughs> and, and, and so that was a real issue. I, I've always said that was my real enjoyment of, of running the Monarchs, to be honest with you. I got to do everything I want to do. They, they didn't know anything or didn't, and didn't care, to be honest. So I could draft who I wanted and trade who I wanted and hire who I wanted. And I thought, wow, this is almost like being a college division coach where you, could, you have control of your destiny but but the reality is in the NBA very few situations are like that I mean if you're if you're an owner and you've invested a you know billion dollars in a franchise you're going to have involvement and uh and and certainly the money part is always a part of it you know and so I don't know you know exactly what goes on in today's front office but I, I know my, my, my background, and I know with Jeff Petrie working for him for years, you know, and I always hear how the Maloofs made him draft Jimmer for dead or made him do this. They never made him do anything. That's absolutely a fallacy. Mm. I mean, it just didn't happen. And Jeff be the first to tell you, they were his mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> they were his mistakes, uh, just like uh, the, the great late picks uh, were his. And, uh, you know, at some point he was the decision maker. So that's uh, so, you know, I guess the hope going forward is that Monty McNair is the final decision maker sure. and that he, and he makes good decisions. We know he's one for one. Sure. Uh, that's what we know right now. We don't, yeah. we can't know anything else, but we know that. And uh, you know, the Bogdanovich thing uh, so far, I mean, Bogey hadn't played well or played hardly at all. And so, okay. Uh, you know, uh, you can't, He's okay with that one too, to date. To date. I I still would have liked something there. But anyway, I don't know if that's a long way around it. But yeah, the answer answer is uh, you're you're not dealing in a vacuum for the most part. And and usually you you can, in a lot of the better franchises, probably the the GMs do make all the basketball decisions unless it's involved in a huge money deal. And then the owner is definitely going to be involved. Whether it's Miami or Indiana or Utah or Phoenix, they're going to be involved when huge money is involved, as they should be. If I bought a team, I damn sure would be. If if <laughs> so, Jerry, uh, just because you piqued my interest, was there a single player that you can remember who was the best player that you wanted to trade for, and they said no to? Well, there are two: uh, Detlef Shrimp and uh, Jeff Hornacek. Okay, those are two guys. Those are two guys I really wanted, and I felt, you know, just me personally, I felt if we get them, we can turn the, you know, we'll be pretty good, you know. Yeah. So, didn't happen. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get let's uh, let's get moving then to uh, the Reynolds wrap up. Jerry, what do you have for us? Well, I, I think my my thought today is I just want to encourage 
you know, of course, anybody come on board of <clears throat> and, and uh, get involved in the King's Herald. I, it's really been a, a great thing for me personally, selfishly. I, I just love and I'd encourage people to read the articles. They're terrific. Uh, they've got some great writers. You don't have to agree with everything. I don't. Uh, of course, you know, I mean, I disagree with a lot of things because mainly I'm right all the time. So <laughs> naturally, I would disagree. But uh, I'm like everybody else. But, uh, you know, read the articles and then read the comments. I, I, I always find something uh, that really piques my interest and say, yeah, okay, I, I see where this guy's coming from. I, like I mentioned earlier, the Buddy Heal thing, where a couple of fans noticed that they felt he was definitely getting heavier and maybe a little slower. And I hadn't thought of that. I just knew he wasn't playing very well. And, uh, and, I, and I think that could be, I really believe that could be part of it. So, uh, you know, if you really, you know, if you're really interested in kind of uh, increasing your knowledge, uh, you can, you can, I don't care who you are. I mean, you know, there's a, you know, there's a couple of guys that write that do have all the answers and, and, you know, next year they'll learn some of the questions, but that, <laughs> but, uh, but that's always the case. So that, that's it. Hey, it's a, it's, it's a really get out there. If you love basketball, dig into it. Uh, you'll like it even better. Jerry, can we have you come on at some point and start writing comments or writing articles for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna get you at some point jerry i'm gonna have you in a mailbag and you're gonna be answering questions that people ask yeah i I wouldn't come off as good as james ham did i'll tell you that so uh so i mean who knows who knows who knows but no my short answer is no well many thanks to james ham for coming on james ham to coming on for that uh that mailbag because uh he provided a, a very fun perspective for me because it's the exact opposite of what I want. And so, uh, and, yeah. and all respect to Tim for, for, uh, for holding things in the middle ground, but. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, but that was great. I thought, you know, I mean, you, you both, uh, you know, basically I thought, you know, showed your opinions and, and reasons and very well. And you can, okay. You didn't have to, couldn't dis could I couldn't disagree with either, which is what's part of the problem is <laughs> you should be able to yeah. you, sh- you you should kind of be able to pick a side completely. And well, I told James I, I, I texted him. I said I agree with you about eighty seven percent. He said you mean not ninety three. I said well I agreed with Will about seventy eight. So <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll have James back, uh, and we're probably going to end up having James uh, James Ham come on this podcast at some point, just so uh, just so we have two smart people on the podcast instead of the regular one. Yeah. Well, the, no, we'll just allow him to talk one tenth of the oh, time. Oh. You know, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll keep, you know, we'll have to keep control of James. Yeah. Okay. No, he's, no, he's great. I, I, I think the world of him and, uh, you know, whether you agree with him or not, I mean, you, you definitely uh, understand the amount of work he puts in and, and his thought that he puts into it. And that, that's what the key is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for, on behalf of uh, everyone here at the King's Herald and uh, for Jerry and Tony, I'd like to thank you guys all for listening to another episode of the King's Herald Show. Um, please feel free to like, like, rate, and subscribe us uh, wherever you guys are getting these podcasts. That helps us out a lot in terms of visibility. Um, until next time, um, I, I, I guess I can expect another 10-game win streak now that we've lost our five or so. So next episode will be the positive episode. So look forward to that. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Next time.